Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. We all really want to get back to what really matters in life. How can we find peace when it seems so elusive at times? How do we live as we were created to be? Join us as we journey forward into 2021, looking at some ancient ways as we seek to be closer to God, encounter His Word, find the key to growth and community, and live life more simply. If you would, help me welcome all of our first-time guests, those of you in the room as well as online. So glad to have you worshiping with us today. Well, we are in a series. Uh, Today is actually part three, and we're going to go ahead and jump right in because we have so much that we need to talk about today. Uh, If you've missed any part of this series, you can go back and get it online. But it comes out of an Old Testament passage, a rather obscure passage, if we could be honest, from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. And the the whole basis for this is that throughout the second half of 2020, pastors across America started talking one to another. Hey, I feel like God's putting this verse on my heart. What could it mean? And we felt that happened way too many times to call it coincidence because our God doesn't do coincidences, right? And uh, so we've built a series out of God's promise in this passage where he says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. And we've already talked enough about 2020 and its misery and how we need rest for our souls. We're not going to do that anymore. But the idea is there's a good way that God has for us, and we will find that if we get back to his ancient paths. And so, again, we're not making those up for this series. The ancient paths are what God taught his people from the very beginning of time, that if you do these things, this is where the good way of following me can be found. It's going to be very pleasant to your soul and good for your life. And so, as we started this series, we looked at one of those ancient paths, uh, an ancient way, something that God's people have done for a long time, a regular practice, was to get closer to God by getting further from the world through prayer and fasting. Honestly, it's kind of become a lost or forgotten practice for Christians today. So we want to see if we can get back to that and do it more in our own lives. We do it twice a year here as a church, but I would encourage you other times throughout the year, if you just feel, man, you just feel like you're not as close to God as you want to be. You feel like you're being dominated by some habits. Let's do some prayer and fasting, set some time aside. And then the second thing that was one of their ancient ways came when God started his people on earth as a nation came to a guy named Abraham, said, I'm going to make a great nation of you, except the problem is Abraham was one man. Abraham has a child, his child has a child, and it turns into a family. Then eventually the family becomes a nation, and God says, okay, now that you are my people, you need to know how to live. You need to know what I expect of you and how I'm going to bless you. It started with what we call the Ten Commandments, and God gave them a way of living. Now, here's the thing. The ancient way was when God's people responded and said, whatever you say, we will do. This is the way, right? Anybody here? There you go. And uh, so we enjoyed talking about that last week. Now you can imagine if God is coming through this prophet Jeremiah to say, hey, stop and look. As everybody else is very busy going about their way, they even know if they're going to turn to the right or to the left. I want you to stop. I want you to notice everything that's happening in your world. And I want you to choose a different path as my people. 
The reason he's saying that is because God's people and the world around them had gotten away from these ancient ways. So you can just imagine if they had gotten away from the idea of getting close to God, if they had gotten away from saying, whatever you say, God, we will do, and so now they're doing whatever they want and they're far from God, their world is gonna be a mess, right? And as much of a mess as their world was, there was one particular thing that got God's attention. Matter of fact, I'm gonna go as far as to say there was one thing happening in their world at that time that was offensive, was offensive to God. And, and so today as we get into our third ancient way, our third topic of looking at what God has for us, I, I wanna be a little bit transparent up front if I could, because what we discover happening in their world long, long ago is exactly what is still happening in our world today. And so as I began to really study this passage in Jeremiah, and uh, honestly, I had a, a nicer, easier to preach topic that I thought I would do, but the more that I studied scripture, the more that I realized I, I had to, to talk about what God was talking about through Jeremiah. And so I started about three or four weeks ago with Kent saying, Kent, I think I'm gonna have to change part three of the series, and it's, it's not gonna be an easy one to preach. And so I started asking a bunch of other staff members and mentors in my life if they would pray with me about this particular week, because I, I hope, and what I was asking, is that I'll be able to deliver today's topic with both grace and truth equally. You, you know, everybody leans one direction or the other. Some people, man, they can preach grace all day long, and other people can preach truth all day long. Y'all know I'm the truth guy, right? And my goal today, because our topic is so sensitive, is to make sure that I don't have too much of a truth edge and hurt people. But I also know that we need to not talk about this from a distance. We don't need to take today's topic and say, well, you know, down there is a little issue. Because if we talk about it from a distance, it's likely not to touch our hearts. And if it doesn't touch our hearts, then it's likely to not bring about any godly change in our lives. So I think in order for us to get what God wants us to get out of it, it's gonna have to prick our hearts. And that means that we're gonna have to take today's topic and get real. We're gonna have to talk about what it actually looks like for you and me in our world today. So I hope you guys are ready to extend a lot of grace to me as I'm gonna use as much grace as I can to preach to you what the topic of the day was that was wrecking their world and is uh, today still wreaking havoc in ours. And so everybody ready to go? Uh, who's sitting on the edge of their seat saying, I, I, I wonder what this is? Well, the big topic that was messing up their world that honestly is difficult for us to talk about is injustice. I think all of us would agree there's injustice in our world, but we wouldn't all agree on how it got here or definitely not on how to change it. But this is what God told Jeremiah. He said, look, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Go run, look. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man. One, just one. If you can find just one who, seeks, who does justice and seeks truth, then I may pardon the whole city. If you can just find one of my people who still does justice and seeks truth. Why is this such a big deal? It's because God is just. We talk about God's nature, and you need to understand when we use these words like God is love, God is mercy, God is faithful, God is patient, and God is just, we're, we're not talking about adjectives that we put on God when he's in a certain mood, because these don't just describe how God acts. They are his very being. We use the word attributes. They make up who God is. They are his essence. 
And so God's essence is justice. He is a just God. And so what happens is all of God's ways are gonna be just. Anything that he asks of his people to do and the way that he prescribes for life, it's going to be perfectly just. But as they had gotten away from God and as they had stopped following God's ways, their world was filled with injustice. But see, if you're close to God and you are communicating who God is perfectly to your world, there is no injustice. If you're doing what they used to do, and that is whatever God says we will do, there is no injustice. But injustice comes when we get far from God and his ways. And we see that in our world today for the exact same reason. And so we're gonna go and look at the very injustices. There are four injustices in particular that God calls his people out for, and they are still dominating our world today and causing a whole lot of trouble. And so I just wanna go ahead and remind you before we get started, that you are not supposed to kill the messenger. In the Old Testament, they did stone the prophets. If they didn't like what the prophet said, Jeremiah did not exactly have a pleasant life with what he was saying. So I understand as I re-preach Jeremiah to you, it may bring up some of those same types of emotions. But uh, please do not throw things at me. Please do not attack me in the hallway when we're done. And if you really don't like what I have to say, then you can take it up with Jeremiah when you get to heaven. There we go. Everybody good? All right, so here we go. The first great, I had to do that because, see, there's not gonna be a lot to laugh about today. I, I just have to tell you that up front. It, it's gonna be a little bit sensitive, right? And so that was your good laugh. If you missed it, that was your only chance. The first great injustice that God called his people out for is that they do not seek truth. They did not seek truth. Jeremiah says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely meaning they don't represent me. God says one thing, they go and say another. And the priests rule it their direction. And my people love it that way. My people love that the prophets have started to change the word of God and tweak things a little bit and say, whoa, we can do things a little differently. My people love it. And the priests rule according to that. And see, their nation, because it was the nation of God, their civil and religious laws overlapped. And so as a result, the priest would, would enforce certain things based upon the untruths that the prophets were declaring. And God said, my people love it that way. It still happens. Matter of fact, we're, we're gonna go ahead and talk about how we do not seek truth and how we actually sometimes love the lack of truth in our world. And there are two primary arenas in our lives where this happens, and the first one is right here. So we're gonna start right here because as the people of God, we should always start with the house of God. Anybody with me on that one? And so here's the deal. If you've ever read this, if you've ever picked up the Bible and you've looked through it and started reading it, there are questions you will have questions. I love when somebody starts reading the Bible for the first time. It's a new year. They get all excited. They get the Bible reading plan, and it never fails, man. Every Sunday, they meet me in the lobby. Pastor, I got a question, and especially when they get to Leviticus. Pastor, I got 17 questions about Leviticus. I mean, there's some weird stuff in here. And, and so if you read this, you may have a question like, really, what kind of fish could Jonah have lived in for three days, you know? And, and or, was the flood really the entire world or just kind of that region or something like that? There's all kinds of questions that you will come up with. But God's word was written for God's people, not scholars. It's great that every now and then I can give you a little insight into something 
but that's not necessary. God's word is written so that we can read it and at face value know what God wants from us. And so here's the reality. No one ever reads this at face value and gets concerned or confused about what God wants from us morally and ethically. No one has ever been able to read this in their language at face value and said, I'm very angry at my father for something he did 10 years ago, but I don't think God cares if I forgive him or not. You don't get that when you read this. You know God says he wants you to forgive. No one can read this and at face value believe that God wants you to be in debt or to not honor him with your words or your money or your actions. No one can read this and say, I don't think God cares much about how I treat my children. No one can read this and say, I don't think it matters to God whom I have sex with or when. No one can read this and say, I don't think God is all that worried about how I treat my spouse. No one's ever had any doubt about what God's moral code is when they read this at face value. And the problem is, God's moral code doesn't line up with ours. And so a lot of people are not seeking truth, they're seeking permission. And as a, a former youth pastor, one of my favorite things is to invest in the next generation. And right now, one of my favorite things I get to do is I get to sit and do Q&A uh, with our interns, our college age, and uh, they ask some questions. And in particular, this is one of the, the topics right now, the hot button topic of, of their generation. Someone has started to uh, say that you can go back to an ancient Hebrew word. And uh, that word's kind of been misunderstood for millennia. And so actually what everybody thinks God wants from us in that particular moral area that's confronting our current young generation more than any other, that's not really what God wants because we've never understood the Hebrew word correctly. So I went and did some digging and helped them answer the question, and it's completely false. But here's the point. Somebody out there will agree. Somebody out there will say, well, I think we can change that. And what ends up happening is people say, well, if you're going to preach this as the word of God, which by the way is a very unpopular statement to make, isn't it? Did you know it's actually an unpopular statement for a pastor to make? That there are many who will say, well, you know, some of it's good, a lot of it's folk stories, and so what we need to do is update it. And so a lot of God's people are changing from one place to another to get permission for what they want to do morally because of some of the things that morally are happening in our world. I'll never forget one of the things my theology professor told me from the beginning. He said, a man's morality determines his theology. Now here's the problem, that statement's supposed to go the other direction. See, what we know about God is supposed to determine our moral choices. But what ends up happening is that what we want to do and what we are doing, we change our idea of God to match it. And so he warned us as future preachers. He said, watch out. If you see somebody's preaching change, something has changed behind the scenes. So here's the deal. We, we have today where, where people are looking for someone to give them permission to change what they know is true. You read it on face value, there's no question. But we're looking for someone to let us do something different. I wish it stopped right there. But 
seeking for truth and, and being fed things that are not true doesn't stop right there. And, and so it actually happens when we leave the building. When we leave here, we're only here for you know a little over an hour a week. It's the rest of our world where we're also having a struggle with seeking truth and knowing truth and sharing truth as the people of God. Now, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what I'm about to say is not a conspiracy theory because it is way more boring than that. It's just economics. Come on, somebody say, yippee, economics class, okay? But here's how, thank you, here's how this works. When I was younger, like when I was a kid, the way that we got our information is dramatically different from the way we get our information today, especially the monetization of information. Here's what I mean. Everybody who's as old as me uh, and older can, can share this memory. But do you remember when we read newspapers that landed in our driveway or on our front porch and we watched one of only three television stations? Come on, everybody that did that, raise your hand, confess your age. There you go. But see, here's what used to happen. In order to make money, you needed to be the most read newspaper and the most watched television station. And so when an event would take place, you needed to be the first one to report it and you needed to report the most information and to have the knowledge no other station has because this was crazy, I know, everybody today, but used to if you heard something happened in the day in another city, you had to wait until 6 p.m. to turn on one of those three stations to find out what happened. And, and whichever station was not talking about it or didn't know much about it, we ignored them and we went to the other station. And when we did, their number of viewers went up, their ratings went up, they charged more for advertisements, they made more money. But they don't make money that way anymore. You see, we get our information through these now. And they make money every time we click and they make money when we click again. And so everything that's on here from your social media apps telling you that Aunt Sally just got a new kitten, to the news, to everything else that brings information into your life, that information, they make money only when you keep clicking and say, I wanna know more, I wanna know more, I wanna know more. So like a perfect example is cat memes, cat videos. Apparently, the whole world loves cat videos, and they're all over YouTube. Is that correct? Somebody know what I'm talking about. Let me hear a little noise for the cat people in the room, right? Yeah, but see, here's the thing. I've never seen one of them. I get nothing in any of my apps, any information. I never see a thing about cats, and it's very simple. I'm not a cat person. I don't like cats. I'm a dog person, so I never clicked like when Aunt Sally got a new cat. Never, not once. I never said, let me go to that YouTube cat video and see it again. And since I said nothing but cats, I'm done, they didn't make any money. So they stopped sending me things about cats. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's true. There are really well-designed algorithms that follow the things that make you click again, and they give you more of what you actually want. So if you don't like Aunt Sally and her cat, but you're a fisherman and you love Uncle Bob and his fish stories, and you click like, you get more fish stories. And then you start getting fishing advertisements and then you get fishing videos from YouTube and because you keep liking and you keep watching and you keep getting more of what you want. You know what that means? That means that sometimes knowingly and other times unknowingly, we're people who only hear what we wanna hear. We don't even know if it's all true. We don't know what's going on because if they tell us something true that we don't like, we stop clicking and we put it down. So it's not so much about telling you all of what's happening and social media and this friend or that friend. If you think, well, I've got a friend that just doesn't post much anymore. 
No, they're still posting. You just didn't like enough of what they were doing, so they're no longer in your feed. And so what happens is that we get a misunderstanding sometimes of what's real going on around us. And I, I'm so grateful. I took a class in my master's uh, program that was the hardest class I've ever taken in my life. A wonderful, really tough teacher. Uh, she was brutal, even though she was as sweet and nice as could be and would smile the entire time. Uh, but the whole class was a research class, just learning to do research and learning to present information correctly. And if you used a statistic in a paper just to put a statistic in your paper and it sounded kind of good, she would go and research it and then fail you because you took it out of context. True. And if you'd quoted somebody, but you put some ellipses in there and you left out a little bit of the quote because the rest of the quote didn't really help you make your case, she would fail you. And so one of the best things that I ever did was to go through this class because it applies to how I preach now. And I've heard people deliver sermons and go, man, that's one of the most exciting, best stories I've ever heard. And I, but I need to get a little more info. I'll go get a little more info and find that story ain't even true. I can't preach that, man. That guy had an amazing sermon. Everybody tells me that guy's an amazing preacher. Hey, that story ain't even true. Or, or somebody will quote a number or, or they'll, they'll talk about a verse and I'll go research that verse and find out they took that all out of context. It doesn't say that at all. It kind of ruins a whole lot of good stuff. I mean, I've got like jokes I can't tell, stories I can't tell, all kinds of things. The problem is most of us were never trained to dig and we don't dig. And so we get what we want and then we repeat it. And we're God's people, which means we're supposed to represent truth. And if we're not sure of truth, we should probably be quiet a little bit more than we do. One of the other things that I learned in that master's class was that you can make a number say anything. Come on, how many of you know that's true? You can make a number say anything. I'm gonna prove it to you right here. When you brush your teeth before coming to church today, and by the way, if you didn't, but if you brush your teeth before coming to church today, Four out of five dentists recommend your brand of toothpaste. It's true. Come on, that was funny. Y'all should have known that. I told you you're not gonna get much chance to last today. You should take it. Every single brand of toothpaste is recommended by four out of five dentists. Just watch the commercials. Just pay attention. Every single one of them. And you have to ask, well, how can that be? Because I just saw that commercial. Four out of five dentists. 80% of dentists recommend. No, no, no. It did not say 80% of all dentists in America. It said four out of five. What that means is one of those brands Got five dentists, said, I'm gonna take you to lunch, and I just need you for five minutes to recommend our brand. Actually, just four of you, because five would be a little, you know, too hard to believe that we don't want that. Four of you will buy your lunch, you're gonna recommend us. And you only have to recommend it is a good brand to use as opposed to not using any toothpaste at all. So four of them go free lunch, and you're right. It's better to brush your teeth than not at all. I recommend your toothpaste for an hour. And they go out and say, four out of five. And then the other company, comes on and says, well, they did that. Find me five dentists to take the lunch. And there we go. And that is how suddenly numbers say anything you want them to say. And I tried to use a very impersonal one that would not politicize or, or get anybody fired up on that point. But the takeaway is very simple. Jesus said that we will be held to account for every careless word we speak. The thing, though, is that there's a truth that's been around the world for a while that is maybe more prevalent today and should be, and that is that the pen is mightier than the sword. And every careless word now seems to come through two thumbs on our phones. We're supposed to be people who know truth and repeat truth. And our big takeaway is this, there can be no justice where there is no truth. Truth is a very foundation of God's nature and justice. The second thing, that God called his people to account for 
is that they did not treat each other with fairness and honesty. He says, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, and then he begins to tell them what they have to change. You have to truly execute justice one with another. What he's saying is that you don't treat your brothers and sisters the way that I would treat your brothers and sisters. You're taking advantage of your position, of your power, of your wealth, of your race, of whatever. You're taking advantage of it and you're not treating people the way I would treat them. In our world today, it very realistically looks like racism, discrimination, taking advantage of people for power, gender, and any other thing that allows us to do that. As again, I, I told you, I had talked to some people this week and asking them to pray with me and, and pray about this. I was speaking to uh, an elder pastor, friend of mine, a mentor in my life. He's 80 years old born in 1940, and he said, Jimmy, you have to understand, racism was simply the air we breathed, and he's white. And he went on to explain, I, I didn't feel anything in my heart, I didn't dislike anyone who was a different color, it's just it was the air we breathed. Our buses were segregated, our schools were segregated, our churches were segregated, our restaurants were segregated. Our city was segregated. He's, it's just where we lived. There was nothing you could do about it. And there are people my age that have been born after the civil rights era, and we think it's not an issue anymore, incorrectly. You see, I grew up in high school, and in the 80s, one of my best friends was black. His name was George, and George would come to my house, I'd go to his house and shoot pool, and I thought, there, there can't be racism. I mean, look, George and I are in the same classes, George and I are good friends, and it, it, it. but it never occurred to me to think, what does George feel like being one of only two black kids in my class? What does George feel like when his neighbors all stop to look when a white kid comes to shoot pool as his friend? You see, Jesus made the answer to this so incredibly simple. It's called the golden rule. He said, treat others the way you want to be treated. And, and one reason we don't treat others the way we want to be treated is because we don't understand each other. We never have enough empathy. We don't take time to say, can you tell me your story? Can you help me understand where you're coming from? God tells us to love one another, that we'll be known by our love for one another. He even tells us to love our enemies. And then the Bible says, as much as is possible, live at peace with everyone, you won't even have an enemy to love. Our takeaway is very simple. How much would change in our world overnight if we simply treated every other person as we'd wanna be treated? What if we actually started to ask the question, the way that you would speak to your neighbor, the way that you would speak to an employee, the way that you would hire someone or fire someone, the way that you might let someone into college or not let someone into college. If you have any influence in a situation, would it change if you stopped and thought, would I be doing this the same if this were my son or daughter? Would I be doing this differently if this person was of a different race? Would I be giving this person another chance if they were my brother or sister? That I'm not giving this... If we can just do what Jesus said, treat every other person exactly as we'd wanna be treated, we will get rid of a great injustice in our world today. The third one that God called them to account for is that they oppressed the disadvantaged. 
He went on to say, if, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, and we don't use words like sojourner anymore, so what he's talking about, he says, if you do not oppress the immigrants, the orphans, or the widows. And the truth is, for us to treat immigrants, orphans, and widows the way that God wants them to be treated is very difficult. And the reason is because it's very expensive economically. It's culturally and relationally challenging to treat them as God would treat them. And the reason that it's so important for us to stop and say, wait a minute, what do we need to change in our treatment of orphans and widows and immigrants? The reason we really need to take notice is because God promises if we're not gonna take care of them, he will. And this is what he says, for their redeemer is strong and he will take up their case against you. And our takeaway, how can our lives, either individually or as a nation, prosper if their God is taking up their cause against us? And the fourth and final great injustice of their day that God called them to account for is that they shed the blood of innocence. It's the very next thing that he says but he explains it better later, and so we're gonna jump to chapter 19 and see where he explains it more fully. He says, they have filled this place with the blood of innocence and have built the high places to Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal. Before I go any further, I wanna stop. <clears throat> and I want to let you know that we're going to look at what this looks like today. It has a name today. It's called abortion. So we're gonna take a few moments and we're gonna talk about the biblical view of abortion. But before I go any further, I, I, want, I want to say that for anybody that this is a, a part of your past, it's a part of your story, I wanna make sure that the enemy does not win. This is not a time for you to feel attacked. This is not a time for condemnation. We have already prepared our prayer teams. We have prayer teams by the stage at the end of every service, but particularly today, they are here to pray with anyone who feels they just need prayer over this topic, specifically that they need forgiveness or emotional healing. For those of you online, you can simply type in the chat and text pray. And for those of you online, that'd be really easy for you to click and leave. I wanna encourage you not to, <clears throat> at least hear this out. Because we don't always see it the way God sees it. <clears throat> Matter of fact, when I was coming along 20 and 30 years ago in church, abortion was talked about all the time. Because I was born about a year from the passing of Roe versus Wade. And so it was, it was a very hot cultural topic then, but it's not anymore. And the truth is I can't remember the last time that I heard someone explain God's perspective. As a result of that, again, in preparation for today's message, a man said, Abortion is just birth control to our culture. He was describing his particular subculture in our nation, and he said, we, they don't even see it as wrong. They don't know it's wrong. No one's ever explained that. It's just an option. So I'd like to share with you God's perspective. It starts in Psalm 139 that says, for you, God, formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb. That's where you began the working. 
I, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderfully your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret before anyone in the world could see. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. What that means is according to God, our creator God, as he was beginning a work even before the womb and into the womb of making us who we are and what we're gonna be like and it's, it's being established even for the beginning that the trajectory of my life, even its length is determined before my first breath on earth. And what happens is you have to redefine God and start striking scriptures one by one by one. I'm only gonna show you three and there are many. Because you have to remove the idea that God has anything to do with human life. That God is behind it. We're talking about Jeremiah. Why don't we see what God said to Jeremiah before he ever told Jeremiah to say anything to anybody else? At the very beginning, he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I had already consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I've already given you your purpose. I've already determined the full extent of your purpose. And this is a nerd moment to help you understand how far God goes with this. Jeremiah was a prophet only to the people of God, Israel. He didn't travel, he didn't go anywhere else, but God says, I declare you to be a prophet to the nations before you've ever breathed your first breath. That's meaning it tells us that God knew even in the womb that these people were gonna reject every single word that Jeremiah spoke because they are the ones that carried him off as a prisoner to Egypt where he continued to prophesy to the nations. Even in the womb, God knew how his days were going to come. Ephesians 2.10, you hear me preach this often, for we are his workmanship. That word meaning not a biological process, but an individual uniquely created being. God was doing something, determining who we were. It doesn't say we're his workmanship, created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God prepared when? Six hours after we were born? In first grade? No, beforehand. God was already determining who we would be, what we would do, what we were called to be all before. God's perspective is that he is at work. He's established who you are because of some birth issues that my wife and I have been through with our pregnancies. We've had a lot of genetic study. Geneticists will tell you what is going to be the makeup of this child. They can tell you things about it, good and bad, before it ever leaves the womb. There are things that God has appointed and determined. You wanna be a basketball player, too bad. God decided in the womb, you're gonna be five, five, Jimmy, get over it. In all seriousness, I prayed earnestly that God would let me be taller. And when I met my wife and wanna get engaged, it was even more, oh God, three inches. I'm just asking for three inches. Come on, I wanna be the tallest one at the wedding, God. Is that too much to ask for? but he didn't do it. Because in the womb, he had already decided that 5'5 was perfectly capable of preaching his word. It helps my, my wife do all the high shelf in the kitchen. It's really, <laughs> gets me out of a whole lot of stuff. Honey, can you get that? No, I really can't.
Since abortion became legal in the U.S., we have 62.5 million children that have never entered this life. The problem is that number doesn't really account for the toll on our nation, our humanity. Because some of that 62.5 million are my age. And I have four children, one of which is old enough who could have had his own children. What that means is out of that 62.5 million, some of them would have already multiplied and would have had their children multiply. How many are missing? Right now, we annually have an abortion rate of just under 900,000 every year. And I know that you would love to sleep better at night. We always raise the objection. But Jimmy, look, there are things like rape and all kinds of other situations, and, and, and I sleep better at night knowing that. Well, the truth is that less than 1% of abortions are reportedly for rape. Matter of fact, 12% of abortions currently are for stable married couples who have simply decided that another child doesn't fit their family size or the lifestyle they want, especially given the rising cost of college. See, for God's people in the time of Jeremiah, this was called child sacrifice to the God Baal. They sacrificed the child for something in return. They wanted the favor of Baal in their life. They wanted something for him to do for them, and so they sacrificed a child to get something in return. And since that's what makes it child sacrifice, I think that that justifies the next statement I'm about to make, because today abortion is child sacrifice to the gods of convenience, lifestyle, and sexual freedom. We get something in return. I want you to think about my generation for a moment. Research estimates one-fourth of my generation is missing. One-fourth. Think about the world's problems that might have been solved. Think about that doctor that would have had the cure for cancer that's never been born. Think about so many things. If I could for a minute, could I just speak to Gen Z? I'm Gen X, let's speak to Gen Z. All of my young people, college, high school, middle school. I want you to think about who might have been the kid down the street that you played with every day after school, but that kid is not there because their parents were never born. I've got four children. Imagine that family line, the entire tree branch of that family tree is missing. And as you think right now about who is the number one college recruit going out to play your favorite team, what if the reality is the top 10 recruits were never even born? That we don't begin to see the best that our world would have to offer. We don't see the best athletes. They've never taken their first breath. What would the musical world look like? What would the artistic world look like? How many diseases would have been cured? What might the world be like? My wife is one of four children. She's supposed to be one of seven. She would have had two brothers and one more sister. 
Let's just talk about something besides generation. Let's talk about race. In doing research for this, in an article in USA Today, currently in New York City, more black children are aborted than are born. The abortion rate is higher than the birth rate. Speaking of that, last week in the message, we talked about God's active wrath, like when God says, I see evil, I'm gonna do something about it, and he flooded the world. Then there's God's passive wrath, where he says, okay, you can have it your way, because you're gonna find out my way really is better when you have it your way. You wanna know what I think is the passive wrath of God being poured out on our world today against injustice? One of the greatest issues that we face right now, leaving 2020, coming into 2021, is the racial tension between white Americans and black Americans. But I can tell you that problem will be solved, but not in the way any of us want it to. See, as a part of God's passive wrath against the injustice of killing the innocents, currently black Americans, white Americans are reproducing at a birth rate that is too low to continue our culture. Matter of fact, our current birth rate is below the rate that any culture has ever returned from. What that means is that when you visit America in 100 years, white Americans will not be the majority and black Americans will be an even smaller minority. We are both self-eliminating ourselves from the face of the earth. We're wiping ourselves out with the help of abortion. A great injustice. So our takeaway, if you are in the position to consider birth control and to think that abortion is one of those options, I I beg of you to please reconsider. Abortion is not preventing a life from being. It is ending a life that God has already created and given purpose and destiny to. And for those of you that may say, well, I'm not going to have one, or well, I'm beyond that stage, and I didn't have one, so I'm okay. I I don't think that that's enough. Matter of fact, I'll share with you a Martin Luther King quote that says, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetrate it. I want you to know if you've ever given even $1 here at daybreak, you've helped to advance pro-life because we are partners with the uh, dominant organization to help in that situation here in Columbia Daybreak Pregnancy Center. We do a service project for them every year to help their facilities. Uh, We all do the baby bottle campaign where we give them some spare change and then we also are a monthly financial partner with them. But sometimes we, we think that that's enough to throw a little money at something and turn the other way. The truth is we need to get a lot more involved than that if we want to see this injustice changed. Because more than money, what they need are people. They need someone, some dads to sit with that young man who is scared to death. He's in trouble for what has happened, doesn't know what his future holds. He needs someone to say, hey man, can walk you through this. Especially those of us that that's our story. Like we can say, hey, been there, man, let me help you. They need someone, some moms, some sisters, 
sit and hold their hand and say, I can speak on behalf of my church. We've got your back. We're gonna help you through this as you make the toughest choice for life. They need some help. But I'd be remiss if I didn't point out just one more issue. And that is that there are government policies that enable the killing of innocents. And we either support or protest those policies every time we vote. And I realize when we vote, there are many issues on the table and it's complicated and I I will not judge you for how you vote. I just think we need to consider it. I have a friend of mine who votes differently from me, goes to Grace Life here, loves me, I love him, and we have this conversation. And by the way, I will not start a debate with you about politics. I will usually walk away from him. But he came into my office and locked the door. (laughs) So he was in. And he said, Jimmy, I, I, I get it, but you need to get it. Abortion doesn't matter anymore because it's decided. It's history. There's nothing that can be done. And to which I say, then please tell me why every single Supreme Court justice confirmation hearing, even to this day, still includes, what do you think of Roe versus Wade? Because every politician of every persuasion knows the reality, and that is that the legal condition of abortion in our country can be reversed. And someone will mention to me precedent, and I will mention to you that if my God can birth a savior through a virgin and raise him from the dead three days after he's nailed to the cross, my God can change a law. And so as long as that's a real possibility, I think believers have a responsibility to at least consider that. And so I'm gonna close with a simple question. What do we do since we live in such a broken, unjust world? Well, the prophet Micah said it better than anybody, so we're just gonna quote him. And he says, he's told you, old man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? Just three things, this is it. Three simple things. Do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So how do we do that? Real quickly, I think we need to repent more. That'll help us walk humbly with our God as well as walk humbly with our brothers and sisters. The truth is there has not been enough of us taking account and responsibility for how we have helped to advance the cause of injustice in our world. Not enough times have we sat down and said, God, forgive me for what I didn't even know I did, especially what I do know. Forgive me for the perspective I once had. And then there's not enough still today going to a brother or sister that's experienced injustice in any way and said, I'm sorry. You know, back in the 90s, there was a lot of what we call racial reconciliation, identificational repentance, meaning a lot of black pastors and white pastors in their churches would get together and and pray and worship together and, and some would repent and some would forgive and it was beautiful and God did a lot of racial healing during that era. But it's kind of stopped almost as though everything's been fixed and it hasn't all been fixed. And so sometimes we, we need to say, God, forgive, forgive us on behalf of my ancestors, on behalf of my race, on behalf of whomever, I ask you to forgive me. 
And so there's one that in particular breaks my heart that I don't think has been repented of publicly enough. Truth is, I don't know of a single instance. And that is that one of the great stains of our nation are the white preachers who actually used and abused the word of God to justify racism. That they took scriptures out of context, twisted and distorted them to say that white and black didn't belong in the same family, didn't belong in the same church. And some even took it as far as to say we weren't equal before God. So for what I have to offer to anybody willing to listen and to the world, I repent on behalf of anyone who has ever called themselves a communicator of God's word and has used it to promote injustice. We need to repent, however God leads you. And then we need to forgive because being forgiven to forgive is the very mark of a Christian. We cannot wait for this world to be perfectly just either through laws or anything else before we begin to move forward and love our brothers and sisters. Because as long as sinful mankind is on the world, it never will be perfectly just. We need to forgive. And then we need to seek truth and do justice. And that's what the whole message was, so I won't repeat any of that for you. But I'm gonna close with a quote. This past week, we celebrated the life and legacy and impact of one of the greatest heroes in the fight against injustice in America, Martin Luther King Jr. And he quoted a scripture, but he added to it a declaration that we should, we should add to our lives. He said, no, no, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied. That's what he added. And I want to say that I think as believers who represent God on the earth, we should declare we too will not be satisfied in representing God in an unjust world. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah saying, we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. Are we satisfied? in our unjust world? Are we able to just look the other way and go about our business? Are we at the crossroads watching and not realizing it is time to do something, to do more, to bring about the nature and character of God to this unjust world? Let me pray for us. God, we come to you saying that we need you as much now as this world ever has. This world is broken and broken people have made it that way. God, we would love to just be able to pinpoint non-believers and their sin upon the earth, but the truth is believers all throughout history have mistakenly, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes intentionally reproduced injustice. God, we ask you to cause us to be people who act justly one to another, who defend your justice upon the earth. Cause us to be people who are quick to repent and quick to forgive. Cause us to be people who represent you as you desire to be represented. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. The truth is this too came out of justice.
You see, because we had all sinned and we had all offended the perfect holiness of God. And God can't just say, oh, well. But that sin has to be punished. That sin has to be paid for. So God's love came to the rescue. And alongside of his justice, he sent his son to die on the cross. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he was punished for our sins. The pain, the crucifixion, we deserve. But he allows us to make an exchange, to take the life that he has for us, and he will take the sins and the life that we created. But every single one of us at some point in history has to thank him and make that exchange. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that wherever you are right now. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that I'm loved. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.